Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Tuesday, June the 21st, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 19. This is kind of a, a part of scripture that many people know. It can easily be taken out of context. It can be used for the sake of telling the truth, which is needed to be done. It needs to be said in the words that are said here, but also it can be used as the end all and be all of a discussion that is very important for us, especially this month of June, for us to be able to look at our own sins, to look at the sins of the world, and to know where our hope lies. The power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to repentance, and the blood of Jesus that sets us free from that in his forgiveness. So may that be what, what we, we have Christ lying over the scriptures today, understanding what is there, but also understanding who we have in Christ. So uh, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we have the joy and honor of having with us Pastor Jeremy Klostermeyer of St. John Lutheran Church in Warrington, Missouri. Pastor Klostermeyer, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you for having me this morning. I always appreciate the opportunity to share God's word with people listening on the radio and online. Well, Pastor, it is uh, Pentecost season and, and I know you mentioned it's a very busy summer, but I want to start this way. You are a guy, and I consider this to be crazy, who likes to bike across states. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this biking? I mean, one thing to bike to work, it's another to bike across a state. So tell us about that and, and the reason you're doing it. Well, I'm not sure how much I like it, but uh, <laughs> um, it, is a, it is a thing I've been doing for quite a few years now. I am on uh, the board for uh, Lead a Child, to be called uh, Christ, Children's Christian Concern Society. Now it's called Lead a Child. And uh, the former uh, executive director, David Saving, quite a few years ago, started uh, a group that would bike across states. And, they, and they've done a lot of states. Um, and uh, it was to raise funds for Lead a Child. Um, Lead a Child is an organization that basically is a mission support organization that supports children's ministries throughout the world, basically. We're in several different regions. It started in Guatemala, and it's still going strong there. Uh, that's our biggest region is Guatemala and uh, uh, South America. And uh, it, it just uh, provides funds and resources for for children's ministries, um, and so that's what we do. We kind of raise money, and that's this bike across Missouri. I'm, I'm biking across Missouri this year, June 25th through July 1st, with about, uh, I think, eight or nine other guys, um, and then we have some other supporters who will be driving along with us and, and carrying all our gear and all our food and everything, and uh, so we do that um uh, it is uh, strenuous, especially summers in Missouri, where it's uh, next week it's supposed to be 100 degrees for four days in a row. 
but hopefully it cools off so that we're not boiling. Uh, but um, we do about 400 and some miles in a week, and uh, we're pretty tired by the end of it. But it's all to raise money for a most worthy cause. So if you want to help us out, you can go to Lead a Child, L-E-A-D-A-C-H-I-L-D dot org, and check out the ministry and what we're doing, and uh, then click on the Give Now button and give now. Give what you're able to give uh, so that we can keep this wonderful support ministry going. Well, Pastor, uh, God's blessings to you as you endeavor that and uh, go across state. And if anybody's ever driven across much of Missouri, it's actually not that flat. And neither is Iowa, by the way. Minnesota is actually flatter than both of them. Um, so mm-hmm. it is a, not an easy ride, but a blessed one. And as he mentioned, it goes to a worthy cause, which uplifts children, obviously, in the name of Jesus. So, Pastor, as we begin in that name of Jesus, can you begin our time in prayer? Certainly. Let's pray. Lord God, as we study this difficult passage today, we ask that you would, as Pastor Finneran said, give us uh, grace goggles, give us Jesus goggles, so we can see Jesus even in your law, but that we can know you more clearly and know your will, so that we might do it, but then also so that we might see our sins and run to your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text this morning, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, I'm going to start this way, is as we read the scriptures, we believe them to be true. Now, with that truth, what we do is sometimes struggle with, what does this mean? And this is why our catechism speaks that way, why, we're, uh, why we go through what's called catechesis, where we teach the faith, where we are very open to everyone asking the questions. Why this, why that, and what does this mean for us? All obviously covered by the blood of Christ. So as we read this, just to make sure that everyone knows that, first of all, we believe all these words are true. Now we pray that the Lord would help us understand them. At the same time, this is not a text for us to use for anything inappropriate or trying to downgrade anybody for who they are or, or uh, as, a, as a child of God. But at the same time, we do call for repentance that we all have to do. And that's why today, you know, Luther talks about this, the daily life of the Christian is a life of repentance. And that's what we do every day, dying in our baptism and rising in Christ. So as you hear those words, we keep that in mind. Genesis 19, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 22. Of the English Standard Version, we hear the word of God. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face on the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the man at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them 
as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. They said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, and they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seems, seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and sent him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and this little one, let me escape there, is not, not a little one, and my life will be saved. He said, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. This is our text today. Pastor, there's a lot there, but also it's always in a context. How do you want to start us off today? Yeah, the, uh, um, the chapter before gives us a, a little bit better idea of who Lot was and who uh, these two men were. These two men had come to Abraham to uh, tell him that uh, he was going to have a child in his old age, and the verses before talk about how Sarah laughed, and then, of course, they did have that child, Isaac, and we could spend a long time going about that, but then in the uh, verses right before chapter 19, um God tells Abraham that he's about to destroy the city. And so Abraham intercedes for Sod and asks the Lord, if you find, uh, I'm not going to go through it all, but if you find so many people in the city, is it worth destroying the whole city for for those righteous people that are in it? And they got all the way down to, I believe, five. And uh, then even still, God did not relent and he, decided to destroy the city. So then the two angels who had been talking with Abraham go on to uh, rescue Lot and his family out of Sodom. And that's where, we're, where we start. Now in chapter 19, these two men, these two angels, uh, are about to enter the city. And uh, Lot, who is uh, there at the entrance to the city, most, most cities in these days had walls around them to protect them. And uh, so Lot was 
sitting at the entrance, and it was kind of the, I don't know if you want to call it the city administration area or the place where the leaders of the city sat to uh, discuss things and to decide things. And uh, so Lot was there. So Lot was a pretty prominent guy in the city, and he was sitting there, and he sees these two men, and there's something about them that's different. Because he gets up and he goes to them and he bows himself with his face to the earth. So he sees that these two men are different. Mm. And uh, he, uh, uh, the scriptures don't speak of it, but it's almost like he's trying to hide something from them. Because he says, don't go into the city, Turn, turn aside and come to my house and I'll take care of you. And they say, no, we want to go to the city. But he presses them strongly and urges them to come to his house instead. So uh, I think there's both a sense of uh, uh, shame with Lot, but then also he wants to, and we'll talk, probably talk a little bit more about the uh, the need for hospitality and their idea of hospitality and how important that was to them. So that's kind of where we start. And, it, and, and the hospitality piece, I think, that's a good place for us to start because you have uh, Abram and, and Abraham and Sarah, who, when they see what we would perceive to be the Lord and his two angels and two angels come, I mean, they just weren't making bread. I mean, they were making lots of bread. This is beyond any Italian restaurant meal you can imagine, and they're making all of this. They are hosting. And, and they, they hear the promises of the Lord that says you will have a child within a year. But what always has struck me with that is just simply they come and it is like just this huge meal. And you see that throughout the Bible, right, where you just see these mm-hmm. huge feasts over what we would consider to be kind of a minimal reality. Because the high feasts of America, for example, the Super Bowl, even there, we tend to put out chips, you know. <laughs> mozzarella sticks you know this is not we just don't do that so do you want to speak a little bit about that as you mentioned it about hospitality and and why that was important to them and and for us as christians any thoughts you have on that yeah i think uh um as as christians we've kind of taken the old testament's lead at least a little bit or at least we should in our churches and with our church buildings and um in our own church building we uh, put on a new addition with the big, huge fellowship hall and made sure that it, it looked and seems open to the community so that we can, and we, and we want to be open to people of all, all backgrounds, all races, all everything. And so there is a sense of hospitality. And, uh, you know, there's a verse from Hebrews that, uh, we should always be willing to entertain strangers for Sometimes they might be angels unawares. Mm. And uh, so there is this, I wouldn't call it a command, but a, a strong suggestion that we should always be open to hospitality. And uh, uh, the Lutheran Hour, uh, or uh, Lutheran Layman's League, has uh, some good uh, resources on that. On how, our, how our witness, how our evangelism should be one of... Uh, hospitality and and care for even the stranger and, and so it's not necessarily a bad thing that we are are open and caring of everyone and that we uh, roll out the red carpet for people who come to us um, 
So, but it was even it was a huge deal back in the Old Testament. Uh, even and so, I think one of the notes I read said it: when visitors come uh, to you to your house, you treat them even more importantly than you would your own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, when I thought of that, I thought about how in my house growing up and still today, if we're going to have visitors. Our house has got to be cleaned, and uh, we have to go to the store, and we have to get all of the the best food, uh, lots of snacks, and everything, and and uh, we can't have a dirty house because we want to put our best foot forward, and we want to show hospitality. Plus, we don't want to be embarrassed by the mess, you know. So that's it. Still goes on today, although a lot of people don't want to have people in their homes, right? Um, and so they. They uh, they're not practicing hospitality as much as used to. I could go on and on about that and about how pastors used to be able to show up at a house unannounced and show up, and the, the members would you know kindly take them in and have something ready to serve him and all those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. if I don't, uh, as a pastor now, if I don't call ahead of time, most likely a week ahead of time, I'm not gonna to show up to somebody's house because I won't be uh, kindly uh, received. That <laughs> That's true. And, and I'll tell you this for our listeners is first thing is that right now you might hear a lot of noise outside my doors because people are being hospitable because we're going through our pictorial directory. So we have a whole crew of people welcoming those. I mean, it's just with the pictorial directory, there's just people who just line up and they're so excited to have everyone, everyone comes to church and they get their pictures. People are happy. Little kids are, well, kids aren't happy, but you know, the families are happy. So I just, if you hear that as we're going through this, uh, then just know there's some hospitality going on here at Messiah Lutheran Church. But secondly, it is, it is that reminder for all of us, reminder to our listeners and for me personally is, Lord, help me to be hospitable, um, to welcome people in my in the congregation, I, I serve our old secretary, not old, wrong word, a retired now set and retired secretary. She had an LWML gathering here, and she spent hours preparing for the theme, getting everything clean, making sure that everyone came. And I was like, wore out watching. I was like, what are you doing? And I said, Karen, why why are you doing? Why are you working so hard on this? She said, we want everyone when they come to this place to feel welcome. Because pastor, don't you realize? Doesn't it feel awful when you don't feel welcome? And I was like, you know, yeah, you're yeah. right. And almost, I think yeah, I almost feel like you're putting somebody out by your Exactly. Presence. Exactly. So that's just a reminder for all of us. And we do that in the name of Jesus. And the angel connection you made from Hebrews is so appropriate today. So let's get let's get back to the text. I mean, it is in the text, so we'll continue in the text. We've already gone through verses one through three, and these two angels come. There's something there. He's hospitable to them. But like you said, there's kind of that little backdrop of we want you. I want you at my house because I don't want you to go over there. So, Pastor, anything yeah. else before we start unveiling that? I'll begin reading the rest of the verses here coming up. Anything else in those first three verses? Well, and then he says, uh, "Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way." Mm. So he wants them out. He doesn't want them to hang around too long. Right. Um, you know, he wants them to get up when the sun rises and get out of town. Okay, that's uh, a good point. So, I didn't notice that. Like, <laughs> yeah, so 
uh, it's like uh, he's trying to hide something or he's embarrassed or whatever the case might be. So let's, let's hear the rest of the story. Here we go. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called a lot. We're the men who came to you tonight. Bring them to us that we may know them. So let's stop there, Pastor. Is before they even lay there, their, their stomachs are full of bread. They've been fed, maybe a little wine. They're about to lay down, and all the men of the city come and surround the house and they ask a question. What, how do you want to begin with that? Yeah, it's hard to imagine that scene that they're, this whole city is so depraved that they have some visitors and they want to have their way with them. And the whole, all the men of the city, young and old, they all come to that house. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine. And, you know, a lot of times I have people, especially older folks, who will say, this world, and they'll say, Pastor, this world is so horrible. Things are so horrible around here these days. What are we going to do about this horrible world? And I have to remind them that the world's been horrible since Adam and Eve sent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, God decided to destroy the whole world and raise it up again at the flood. And, you know, I use Sodom and Gomorrah as another example of, of uh, the depravity of man and humanity in general and how when uh, there is no morality, when there is no God in people's lives, they just turn to uh, turn to sin completely. So this is uh, a, an example of that. And when it speaks about the language, and just to be very clear as we're talking, there was a, a sexual nature to this, of these men to other men. We have to be careful with this, too, is that this is not a one-to-one -one of saying, if somebody has these same desires, this is what they desire. Um, and that's something, I remember the first time I read this, actually, I remember I was a senior in high school, that I really first heard this story and tried to dig in, that it, it was kind of led to, you know, this is this is what those people are like. And and that's, we have to be very careful on that because all of us, as Pastor said so well, we all are depraved, that we all have desires that that are not in accordance with the Word of God. And that's why we pray for the Holy Spirit to, to guide us on a holy path, for us to repent over our own sins, and then also not to say, well, see, that's what they did, and that's what those people are like, and then therefore you go down the list. We always have to remember it's only by God's grace. And this particular case is very, very, very bad. And if someone does have these desires, you address it in the same way you address anything. Call the repentance and point them once again to the cross. But this is, like you said, so depraved that we don't want to dismiss this as anything other than what, what it was. A very depraved city of men who want to do um, unfaithful things, unchristian things, to other men. So, Pastor, anything else in verses 4 and 5? Yeah, and uh, it says, so that we, want, mm. we can know them. We may know them. Um, so this is uh, um, very nasty stuff that they want to do to these two men. Um, and it's, you know, they don't want to 
just get to know them, as we would say, no, but the word no means carnally know them or sexually know them. So they just wanted to have sex with these two guys and uh, have their way with them, if you will. And so let's keep moving forward with that because there's parts that, there's even more parts that can be quite a struggle for us as we read this. So uh, verse verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any men. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to this men, these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, I would say this one is, I think the, the first two verses, four and five, people are like, that's bad. But then they get to these verses, and then they we kind of see that as really bad, especially as a father, and you know how that is as a father yourself. We can't imagine this scenario. So, Pastor, with about two minutes left before our break, and we can we can dig into this after our break as well, but how do you want to begin with that? Because this can be quite emotionally difficult to understand. What are your thoughts? <laughs> it's uh, uh, sick and depraved, um, but... Lot uh, has a misunderstanding of sexuality and a misunderstanding of hospitality and and uh, uh, a misunderstanding of family and you can go on. That uh, he thinks that it is less sinful for these men who are banging down the door to get the men. That he thinks it's less sinful to have his two virgin daughters. Uh, and to do with them what they want. That Lot even thinks that uh, is detestable when it uh, just makes my skin crawl, that he would think that it's more uh, acceptable to do that. Um, and that kind of uh, shows how uh, Old Testament women were, were uh, regarded as well, that they had, were lesser citizens, if you will, that they didn't have that a lot of times they were treated as property instead of as human beings. Um, and that's the way Lot treated his daughters. It's kind of, it just kind of makes you sick to your stomach almost. And that's a difficult part is it's like any show that you'll watch where there is a sin and we try to um, address that sin by trying to cover it up. And then you try to cover it up with what seems to be a more redeemable sin. And it's, it's crazy when you really watch a TV show or some kind of drama. And whenever that happens, it never ends well. It never ends well. And it's kind of funny because, not funny in the sense of, of, of uh, funny because it's just a horrible thing. But it's interesting because they admit what we consider to be the natural law, that when you go against the natural law of God, trying to cover it up and then do something more, quote, redeemable, and there's never any forgiveness, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's something that happens here is we do not, as Christian people, justify him saying, here, have my daughters instead. He's, what we sympathize in this way, what do I do in that situation? What would I do in this? I have no idea what I would do. And I probably, you know, my natural heart would probably... Just bring up something that makes no sense at all. Definitely not in accordance with the word of God because I'm just trying to make this somewhat calm. But at the same time, you realize, like you said, there's so many dynamics of 
This is disrespecting as a father uh, to women, um, to these men even, definitely to, to everybody. It is just sin upon sin upon sin. So, Pastor, you know what? We're over our time. we got to take our break. We'll talk more about this on the other side of our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 19 with Pastor Jeremy Klostermeyer, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 19 with Pastor Jeremy Klostermeyer of St. John Lutheran Church in Warrington, Missouri. Now, Pastor, like I said, it's, you know, in John 1, verse 16, he speaks about how in his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. Now, what we have today as we look at this is sin upon sin upon sin with a topping of sin, okay? So, so, Pastor, what are your what are your thoughts as we look at this? Because, like you said, it's still just so wicked. So, any thoughts as our text so far? Yeah. Um, well, the the purpose of the law, you know, there's three uses of the law. First, to show us our own sin, and so we have to look at the depravity of our own hearts. And uh, I think you put it best when you said, uh, "What would I do in this situation?" And you don't know. Because uh, it's just so gross, uh, and um, at the same time, we know that we've had lustful thoughts that have uh, polluted our own minds and caused us great grief. And so, we, when we look at the Sodomites, we see uh, ourselves. But then we also uh, have the second use of the law, which you know it shows, that, or it's a curb that keeps us. Uh, as a as people of God, it keeps us from going off the deep end or going off the off the road, and so we see God's law as a as a way to stay stay on the road, stay on the path of righteousness. And again, that's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to do that. Um, and so that's why we can see this and see, you know, this is horribly wrong. This is bad stuff. And, uh, we, we don't do it as judges, but we do it, we, we don't judge people, but we judge the sin. And so there, there are, um, and it's, it's weird too, in verse eight, he kind of, you know, he's, he's trying to protect one, he's given over others, partly all this hospitality understanding, you know, don't go after those guys, they're guests in my home. And so it just, once again, the depravity is so great um, it's not just a lack of faith. It is just a denial of everything. And the law, at that point, you pray works. But remember before this, Abraham said, if you can find 10 righteous men or righteous people, then I will surely not destroy um, Sodom. I think at this point, Pastor, the odds are not good that we're going to find 10 that if all the men surrounded that house. What are your thoughts? 
Well, uh, thinking about it through uh, uh, New Testament eyes, there's no one who does good. There's no one who is righteous, Mm. Um, you know. And so um, even Lot and his family, as you know, in Second Peter, it talks about Lot being righteous, but even he wasn't righteous. So not going to find even five people who are righteous in God's sight. Because uh, they're all sinners, and so there's no, there's no saving, there's no saving Sodom from destruction, and that really, there's no saving the world from destruction. The world will pass away, but God's word will not pass away. Mm-hmm. So, again, in it, in Sodom, we can see ourselves as depraved and know that we are doomed to destruction unless our God comes to save us. So let's continue on. We're in verse 9. But they said to Lot, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Pastor, these are these are very difficult words, verses 9 through 11. How do you want to begin? Yeah, um, they're, not, they're not giving up, and they, they don't want those, they don't want the daughters, they want the men, and they're not going to go away until they get them, and uh well, we have this little passage, this fellow came to sojourn, and uh, he has become the judge. So uh, Lot isn't, he didn't grow up in Sodom. He decided to live there. And and so they're going to deal worse with him than with them, with the men. And so now Lot's fearing for his own life. Then uh, the, the two angels, uh, you know, open the door. Grab Lot, bring him into the house, and lock the door. And uh, then supernaturally, they they strike strike the whole city, the whole city full of men, anyways, with blindness. Uh, but they're still not giving up. They're still they're wearing themselves out, groping for the door. It's just, it, it just yeah, I just don't uh, get it. They're not giving up, and they won't stop until they get what they want and it just shows the depravity of sin and especially when we give ourselves over to sexual sin how that can be in uh, sexual addiction and porn addiction and those things are such a great bane on our society and even within our Christian churches it's become a uh, almost an epidemic and and uh a struggle that so many, so many, even Christians deal with daily. And this is why, when we read this, it's good for us to, like we've been emphasizing, realizing our own sin, but also to realize the importance of how much sin is out there, the evil that we can see, it brings us right back to the cross and understands it it, it, it it helps us at least have a solution to all this darkness. 
this is why the, the language in Scripture is so much as we would call a theology of the cross, is that the suffering of Jesus is exactly pointing us to that reality of that there will be tribulation in this life, you know, that there will be brokenness in this life, but yet in the midst of that is a God who has suffered as well and has lived in that darkness, has suffered the darkness that many of us will never probably suffer or may, may never suffer, but yet Jesus did. And this reminds me of why we need a Savior because we can kind of look around and say, oh, the world's pretty good. You know, we're doing okay, and we have a little bit, you know, a little bit of darkness here or there. But this shows you how de- how depraved we all are and why the cross is so important. Pastor, obviously, we, we're going to get to this even more later on, but I wanted to get there now because this is so bad that we need to look at the cross again. Any thoughts on why the cross is so important when we read these words? Yeah, it's a, um, if there's any, any doubt about, mercy of God it's really uh, seen in this passage that uh, uh, that uh, like you said we'll get to it in a little bit but uh, God isn't given up on them uh, and the fact that the uh, the two men the angels don't just let lot be taken over and basically killed is what they're planning on doing to lot that they bring him into the the room into the house and save him is just a little bit, just a little sliver of gospel or grace of mercy on Lot that they are willing to save his life. So that, uh, we, uh, uh, and I was, uh, I was looking up uh, the descendants of Lot and they become the Moabites mm-hmm. and Ruth is a Moabite. Yeah. And of course, a descendant of Jesus, oh. or uh, an ancestor of Jesus, and so there, there is this just a very little hint, a little ray of gospel in that. Oh, and I, I, I think it's even a bigger hint than that. I, I preached through Ruth recently. I seem to be taught through Ruth recently, and there is so much grace when you look at Ruth. Ruth is what. Not my favorite book, but it is just a true gift to us as Christian people because you're exactly right. After this, Lot doesn't improve in his faithfulness, I will say that. Um, And from that, even the Lord works. It's not an end justifies a means type of thing like, oh, well, good thing this happened. No, it means God worked through it. Even in the worst of trials, boom, there we see Christ once again. Oh, Pastor, thank you so much for pointing us in that direction Um, So let's keep moving forward here, verses 12 through 14. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out to this place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Get up. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-law to be jesting. So, Pastor, verse 12, uh, the men said, have you anyone else here? What is, what is <laughs> Lot, Lot knows something's happening, and the men, the men know something's going to happen. And what are they preparing them for? Yeah, they want to gather all the, it reminds us of Noah and his family. Uh, and they were... You know, Noah was considered righteous by faith, of course. We learned from Hebrews. But uh, um, 
He wants to, God wants to save Noah's family on behalf of Noah. And so he's doing the same thing for Lot. And so, um, so he wants to get a family together so that they can continue to uh, move forward with God's plan. But um, we see that, uh, I think I read in my study Bible notes that uh, uh, there is a sense of smugness or, uh, with the sons-in-law that, that, that they don't, that they just don't get it, that they're, they're too blinded to what's going on in the world. And, uh, they just think that, that Lot is joking when he says, let's get out of here because the city's going to be destroyed. So, you know, this is where you see God's grace again. Get some of these people out. The title of this chapter is it says, God rescues Lot. And that's just a good reminder for us, too. Not only does a lineage lead eventually to Christ, but it reminds us of our God who rescues us. I love how you're using um, Noah and the ark as we went through that just recently. It is just a reminder. We can look at it and go, oh, there's, there's no dab of grace in there at all. But yet, even here, God is rescuing his people. And, and it's still very difficult to understand the whole dynamic, but we do see how he still rescues his people. Pastor, anything else in those first 14 verses? Yeah, I, I just, uh, um, we'll see in the next few verses that uh, Lot lingers and that uh, uh, it's not in what we're studying today, but then Lot's wife looks back and just the connection that Lot and his family have to uh, their, to that city and to their possessions and to their lives. And, uh, you know, how Jesus says in the New Testament, he says that those who love their life in this world will lose it. And uh, that's kind of what's going on here, is that they just can't bring themselves to to escape the sinfulness. It's a, it's a sad, sad thing. Sad to see. Let's keep moving forward in the text. Actually, I think I'll read 15 and go all the way till the end. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. It is not a little is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. This is, I would say this is one of the more strange portions of this. You have Abram making a, a interceding for Sodom. Now it's clear, I mean it's clear that there's going to be a problem and, and Lot is still negotiating with the Lord. I, that's one of the things that first comes to mind when I read this. But what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, verse 
16 especially, he, but he lingered. Yeah. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. So they basically had to be dragged out of the city as it was about to be destroyed. They weren't, in essence, they weren't going to leave um, or they were just dilly-dallying and trying to draw it out and maybe something would change. And But, you know, that they <laughs> that these angels had to take each of them by the hands. There was two angels and there was four people. So one hand for each person mm-hmm. and they had to be dragged out of the city. And uh, when they are dragged out of the city, then even then um, they say, get to the hills, go to the higher ground. And Lot says, oh, I can't do that. Um, and the scripture doesn't tell us why it was such a bad thing to go to the hills, but I imagine it was just a really hard climb up the hill. Uh, and there was probably wild animals and stuff up there, but we don't know. But uh, just his connection to a city, that he had to be in a city, that he couldn't just be out in the wilderness because if he did, he would die. And um, just a, a lot is lot just seems to be a weak, weak man. And uh, but it also reminds us of our weakness. We can't, you know, look at Lot without looking at ourselves at times too. And like you said, I, I've I've heard this said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sometimes is gently guiding us, saying, "Okay." This is the way, and just a gentle guide. There's times where it's a little more of a, a push. And then there's times where the Holy Spirit just needs to grab us and pull us there. And, and, and that's what I'm seeing here with these angels is it was no longer that Lot needed a reminder, hey, by the way, you should leave. Oh, by the way, son's, son-in-law, you should leave too. It went way beyond that. It is now, it is go time, grabbing a hold of them and pulling them away. And still he's bartering. And we have to remind ourselves on this too is, okay, there's a time to grieve and there's a time to lament and then there's a time to go. And and for whatever reason, God was merciful. It says that very clear. The Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city that the God, our God is merciful to us. Every single day, a lot of times having to pull us out of this place or that place. And our, our motto at the end of the day is saying, Lord, thank you for keeping us from complete disaster. <laughs> and that's what happens here. And, and we see it. He pulls them out. He gives them the gift of Zoar. And now everything looked good, right? I mean, we're, we're in good shape. Lot is going to just go on a gravy train of biscuit wheels. He's good to go. Uh, right, Pastor? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get into uh, your next lesson, but uh, no, it's far from that. Um, uh, it, you know, he he uh, he just doesn't get it. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story of Abram and Lot, Abram was the righteous one, and he was willing to give up the good land to Lot, and and so on and so forth. But Lot just seems like a. Um, I don't know if I want to call him a jerk, but uh, he just seems like a guy who just never gets what God is doing for him. And uh, um, later on uh, in Exodus and Numbers and 
and so on and so forth. Lot's descendants are going to fight, fight, fight against Abraham's descendants, and, and uh, the, the sons of Moab are going to be a, uh, you know, a bane in the uh, a thorn in the side of Israel, and so on and so forth. And this is kind of the roots of that. That Lot just doesn't. Um, He's not turning around. He's not repenting. So, Pastor, as we look at at this text, as we've gone through verses one through twenty-two, not getting ahead of ourselves, how does the how do these verses relate to our world today? And important for our listeners, as we, I want to say, each day we fight the good fight as Christians. That as we look at the cross, we go through our lives knowing the full story. Uh, it's important for us to, re- why is it important for us to remember Genesis 19, these first 22 verses? What would you say? Well, first of all, if you go all the way back to verse 9, uh, but they said, stand back, and they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Um, one of the things that uh, Christians uh, who speak the truth, who, who uh, speak out against uh, sin, we're often called hypocrites or judges, or, you know, we're just uh, judgy people, and so that kind of, that kind of hit me that way, that uh, even though Lot is very weak and, and he has a misunderstanding, they, they don't think that he's fit to tell them what to do or not to do, um, and so we get that kind of feeling, and Um, More and more, uh, as Christians, Bible-believing Christians who believe in the full authority of the law, um, we're we're mistreated, maybe that's not the right word, but we're we're not taken seriously or we're dismissed when it comes to proclaiming the law. Um, And that's kind of what happens to Lot's sons-in-law. They dismiss him as just joking and and uh, you know that's kind of the feeling I get from this passage and that's kind of the way the world is quite a bit today um, as pastors especially we can see what the what the uh, problem is in the world and but you know we, we can tell people this is what the problem is but oh you're just a old-fashioned uh, pastor, and that's not really how it is, kind of thing. Um, so that's how it is on the law side. On the in the gospel side, we see our own sinfulness through the law, and then we know that we need uh, mercy, we need grace, and so we run to the Lord for forgiveness. And that's where the at the very beginning, he said, we see this through gospel eyes. We see Jesus in this, in his mercy, um, especially uh, when it says that uh, he pulled the, his wife and his two daughters by the hand. We have that little phrase in there, the Lord being merciful to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, that's gospel right there. Because he could have just let them all burn, but he didn't. He was merciful to them and took them out of the city and the same is true for us. He could just let us burn, but he shows mercy to us and pulls us out of this world that is doomed to destruction. There's a great, there's a great picture 
of this person who is standing at the foot of the cross. And it's a side view. So you see the cross, Jesus from the side. And he is this person who's standing in front of that cross. You see him from the side. Their arm, their arms are over their face, kind of cowering in fear. And if you don't know better, you kind of assume they're they're fearing Jesus. But it's that cross is there, and behind them is this this massive firestorm, you know, this big like flame of fire that's coming up to the cross and stops right at the cross. And this is a great understanding of what we believe that the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. And the wrath that we are about to see here, the wrath that the people of Sodom deserved, and the wrath that we deserve, that was placed on the shoulders on Christ, and then therefore we are shielded from that wrath and given the forgiveness of sin. So he he takes all the wrath and he gives us all the gifts. Pastor, why is that important for us as we continue to read Genesis 19 as we wrap up our time and, and encourage our listeners with these words? I'm not sure that you heard that outside my my office, but uh, the rescuers were driving past the emergency uh, vehicles and how uh, that was pretty fitting. That, uh, you know, as you said, the title of this passage is God Rescues Lot. It's not uh, that God, God first rescues us out of our sin, and then he destroys the sin, and he destroys uh, sinfulness in us and in the world. There will, there will come an end to sin, and so we must fully understand that uh, in times of great distress, in times of struggle, um, and we as believers in Christ, as children of God, must be the different makers, difference makers in the world as we share the hope of the gospel, the home, only real true hope of the gospel. We must always be willing to share that, no matter what the cost, uh, to our, uh, to our, uh, to anything. We must always be willing to share the good news of the rescue and the rescuer. Our Lord God rescues us out of the pit of hell and gives us grace. And that's where we say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and he does. Pastor Jeremy Klostermeyer of St. John Lutheran Church in Warrington, Missouri, giving us God's wrong word from Genesis chapter 19. Pastor Klostermeyer, as always, it's a joy and an honor, and thank you for bringing us his gifts. It's always my pleasure, and I appreciate you and all that you've done for KFUO, and that uh, it's always a joy to be with you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.